0: Hey, home is where God is. And Uncle Luke, he's here to show us the way to go home. This week, Lord of the Flies, William Golding style, you know, Beelzebub. Come on in, let's check it out. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 28. All the Bubbas of the world, we got one mission in mind. Welcome to the biblical channel. Always glad somebody is showing up. Why? Because we just like talking about the Bible, encouraging people to read the Bible correctly. Why? Because the Bible's got the best stories ever in it. If we read it right, we got lots to laugh at. We got lots to, you know, grow over. Meaning we've got we can we can you know get our mind blown and expanded all at the same time. But the overall goal is to develop a confidence in us as human beings living on a planet that's going around the earth. You know, at uh, over a hundred thousand mile an hour and spinning at a thousand mile an hour we don't talk about that point nearly enough, but that should horrify us that should bring a certain terror to our existence a lot of things in this world ought to bring a certain terror to our existence this world is constantly releasing the Kraken on us and we need a way forward and that's all that is all that is going on here god's God's desire is just to give us a way forward here and to do it the way we do it with you know The rest of our lives, we just simply talk with other people. So the goal of reading your Bible and saying your prayers is is to develop this, you know, kind of confidence and independence from this world that, you know, has us getting together, talking God in a way that makes us laugh. It makes us smile. It makes us comfortable. It makes us more confident, makes us more independent. We ought to be able to talk about God um, as easy as we talk about anything else in life. So to all the bubbles of the world, let's talk God. And all the characters in the Bible are Bubbas. Uh, Jesus himself was a bit of a Bubba, um, and his mother Mary, she's a bit of a Bubba. Mary says, hey, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I admire that, and that's the way I want my life to sound like and look like. And believe me, life goes better when you sound like that. Anyhow, Jesus teaches us a very simple prayer we looked at last week, and that is, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Uh, who sinned against us, lead us not into temptation. It's a very simple prayer, but it's packed with you know some deep emotional energy that is good for our soul and being good for our soul is exactly what we're on about here at the biblical channel. So let's dive into Luke chapter eleven verse fourteen to twenty eight and let's get a good dose of of just a fun story. It's packed full of you know some some little tidbits that will you know I think make you laugh, make you smile. And, and also give you some deeper perspective of what God is after in this world and the way that he goes about uh, creating stories, telling stories, and, and these stories are the way that we actually grow in life. Stories are the key to our life as human beings, and you know, developing a confidence in this world that's spinning around the sun at 100,000 mile an hour, whew, that is what God has in store for us. We need confidence because, man, the world around us is releasing the Kraken of this uh, you know uh, in every direction possible we need a good way forward so that we can hang on and hang on well and do well anyhow without any further uh, tiki talkie or well more with more talk let's uh, jump into Luke chapter 11 verse 14 to 28 and it's a it's a scene that opens up and and getting what's going on in the opening scene is going to be absolutely essential to seeing the interplay that Jesus has with his audience and that Uncle Luke records for us and the apostles, disciples, the whole gaggle of people gather up this story for us because they learned a lot from it, so we will learn a lot from it too. And the rest of the world will learn a lot from it as well. So the story opens up by Jesus. Jesus drives out a demon that was mute. One demon left, the man um, who had been mute, he started speaking. And the crowd was amazed, but some of them said, "Bobby the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them. Before we go any further, let's just unpack this scene. Number one, in, in, in the 2000s that we all now live, um, the 21st century, um, all of a sudden we're confronted with mutism and demons now. We pretend like this is shocking to us, that this is part of that old superstitious world that we we no longer have any attachment to, and I would say slow down, pump the brakes, because uh, well, hey, I taught middle school for twelve years, and I ran a survey every year, um, so that means I gathered up about three thousand responses, three thousand responses, you know, over the course of twelve years, and if we think that we have moved away from the idea of Demons and you know the well, uh, the world of the evil, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, then we are kidding ourselves. Uh, let me just give you a quick result of my survey over you know the course of twelve years, and and uh, and I did this to set up a lesson, and and so the kids were pretty comfortable. I didn't set, I didn't tell them what we were going to do. Only afterwards did I say, okay, well let's go back and look at some of this data that you guys gave us, and and that you as well as you know the classes that you have been, you know, that have sat right here in front of me. Um, And this is the results. Um, When it comes to people believing, you know, in the modern world, uh, in angels, uh, lucky numbers, the soul, devil, lucky charms, witches, and God, here's how it goes. 85% of the people, 85% of 13-year-olds at least, you know, do believe in the likelihood of angels, uh, 73% believe in the likelihood of lucky numbers. 89% believe in the likelihood of the soul. 80% believe in the likelihood of the devil. Um, uh, lucky charms, 72% believe in the likelihood of some lucky charms, which is evidenced by looking at people's windshields hanging from their you know, rearview mirror, what's hanging there. Usually a lucky charm of some sort, maybe even religiously involved. Anyhow... Uh, witches. Witches, um, you know, fell on hard times. Actually, only 44% believe that witches are likely, but 44% believe that witches are likely, and 85% believe in the likelihood of God. So if we think that we're so far removed in our modern world from the way that uh, the people 2,000 years ago used to think, or even 4,000 years ago used to think, I think you're crazy. I think the numbers would probably have been about the same. I really do. I think the numbers are really about the same when it comes to the adults that I know as well. Maybe you have a different uh, idea, but actually this is, you know, actual survey results that come from my real world, at least. Um, and so anyhow, mutism is an odd um, ailment to have. So we basically have somebody who hasn't, you know, been speaking. And, and also keep track in the opening here that it's not Jesus who declares that it's a demon. He just heals the guy. So Jesus steps into this scene, and he makes this mute man speak. And, and it is the audience that has linked the uh, you know, muteness this, that this man has to demons. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Bible you know, says that demons aren't, aren't real. That's not what I'm saying. But, but keep the facts just as they are. Jesus drove out this demon— that was causing this man to be mute. But it's really the audience that thinks that the man's muteness is related to demons. And so Jesus simply makes the man speak, and the crowd is amazed. So when it does come to the Bible's view of demons, it is important to see the more cosmic nature of evil that the Bible portrays. The Bible does not you know, kind of wish us into some sort of silly superstitions. The Bible just wants to, you know, expand our view of the reality that we live in. And the reality that we live in is sicknesses. And the Bible attaches sicknesses and most problems, you know, of the world, all the problems of the world, links it up to the problem, the cosmic problem of evil. And so the Bible's unapologetic with the, the fact that, you know evil exists and it's a problem um, in a big kind of way and that there is this reality of forces spiritual forces demons the uh, the great Satan himself you know at at odds with God which unfortunately humans um, in the biblical point of view are also at odds with God and also linked up with evil Jesus you know kind of lumped all fathers together when he said that you know if 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 you even your good fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to their their children. So the biblical idea of, of demons is just situated in this larger idea of everything that has gone wrong is associated with the larger category of evil. It's not trying to make a big deal out of, uh, uh, you know, little demons running around or try to make us, you know, afraid of little demons running around. That hardly, hardly is the point. In fact, Jesus' whole point in this is is, is get rid of that foolish notion and get on the right side and you have nothing to worry about. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. The other thing that comes up in this opening scene is that the audience, the audience, being amazed that Jesus just made this mute man speak, you know, some of the people in the audience accuse him and his powers being linked to Beelzebul, which again is kind of funny um, if you understand the historical backdrop. Beelzebul is is this kind of backwoods, slanderous, um, ethnic slur or humor um, related to Israel's history. Because Israel's history was also related to the Canaanites. And the Canaanites' God was Baal. And 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 you know there were different you know words and expressions for the Canaanite God Baal. But suffice it to say that there was a problem that Israel had and they were to not worship the Canaanites ideas of God, Baal, and Baal worship um, but they were to worship God and God alone and to help the Canaanites come around to their idea. Instead, the Israelites oftentimes found their own kings setting up, you know, uh, worship places to Baal. And part of the reason why God expels, you know, Israel as a nation, you know, allows Israel, the nation, to be attacked by two you know, competing nations and, exp- and he expels them is the fact that they did, you know, indeed. Link themselves up historically to this god Baal. Now, at this point in time, it seems like Israel has learned their lesson, and so they've, you know, they now link you know, all things evil to, you know, Beelzebul. Um, and that's kind of funny for me because Beelzebul, Beelzebub is still an expression of this god Baal of the past, but it's now worked its way into common, you know, um, uh, humorous uh, cultural talk. And so people are using the expression Beelzebub or Beelzebub to kind of represent, you know, the prince of demons and, and all the forces of evil. And, and that's, that's, that's really ripe because, you know, here Jesus, by making this mute man speak, is linked in his powers. They're linking his powers to evil powers. Jesus is going to step in and say, that don't make no sense whatsoever which is what humans do. Humans are really good at making no sense whatsoever. But the real opening here uh, in in this scene, the real opening is is the reality of who is Jesus. That is the driving nature of the opening scene. Just who is Jesus anyhow? Yes, the crowds are amazed um, at what he seems to do, but the jury is clearly still out, um, at least with some of the audience, as to where he gets his powers from. And there are two answers that are dominating the landscape here in this story. Number one, there's a huge group of people saying, huh, his powers come from Beelzebub." Beelzebub. Oh, and like I said, Beelzebub also means Lord of the Flies. And, and that's a slur. Oh, and so we're going to bring, the, I'm going to bring this, this up, but Beelzebul, Beelzebub, Beelzebub, Means Lord of the Flies. You can Google all this stuff and look it up and verify I me. Mean, I'm just saying that it just does. Um, but they're they're now accusing Jesus, you know, of a, a a Canaanite god name, which they now see themselves removed from, and they're like, oh, we're, we're you're part of Beelzebub, not us. And Jesus, it, it, it's right because you know Jesus is looking at them from the viewpoint of God, and he's saying, you're the ones with the problem with Baal. You're the one with the problem with Beelzebul, not me. And so Jesus is definitely going to tell them they don't make any sense whatsoever. But the other group that is on view here are the are the group who say, oh, yeah, well, do something else. Prove it to us. Prove it to us. You know, that kind of group of people that are never satisfied with any answer that they get. They just want you to do it again. Do it again. Oh, do something else. Now do something else. Now do something else. You know that people. I know, you know, that people, maybe you are that people, but that people. These two groups of people, people who are just lumping off Jesus, you know, wholesale into the category of evil or, you know, whatever. And and then the other category says, well, do it again. Let me say it again. Let me say it again. Here's the facts Jesus heals everybody that comes in front of him, he does not withhold healing from anybody. He always heals everybody who's in front of him. Don't forget, Jesus thinks he's God. And the text has been telling us just that. So it's no surprise that Jesus heals everybody, but it also shouldn't be a big surprise to us that Jesus never obeys anybody who tells him to perform a test for them. He never does, or does he? The next part of the, te- the you know, opening scene is Jesus knew their thoughts. So think about it. This group says, "You know, well, give us another test. Jesus knows their thought. Perhaps that's the test that he was given them, but of course they didn't see it that way. Um, He knows their minds, he knows what they're thinking, and so he gives an answer based on what he knows that they are thinking. Oh, maybe he heard their murmurings out loud, who knows, it doesn't matter. But that's the scene and how it opens up. Now Jesus is going to basically excoriate the audience, and he's going to do so playfully, he doesn't do so with anger. God has no need to express anger when speaking to us, because we don't trip God up. We think we trip God up, but we don't. And so the scene, you know, gets going with Jesus, reading their minds and you know, and and picking up on this Beelzebul BS, um, and and basically saying your whole logic is completely flawed. And don't forget also that the appeal that Christianity had throughout the the Roman Empire and the rapid growth that it had was largely based on the fact. That it it actually encouraged people um, to think with reason in their minds. It supported people thinking about things logically, to actually you know use the what you can see um, and know in a common way and use that good information. So Jesus is going to actually be using common. Ideas, um, very common ideas. The very appeal that Christianity had and still has is actually its support for reason. Not its, you know, it's not bound up, you know, Christianity is not bound up with some sort of silly, superstitious mumbo jumbo. um, And it's our universities and our institutions today that actually teach, that you know christianity is nothing but a bunch of superstitious mumbo jumbo but you got to remember who is talking to you uh the very people that are kind of like this audience right here anyhow this, the very people that told us that the dark ages were the the dark ages of the church leading europe and and leading people into superstitious mumbo jumbo that is a falseness the dark ages were actually some of the most enlightening times uh, the enlightening times of new innovations and inventions and the getting rid of, of, of this, you know, big, giant Roman Empire and, and things becoming much more manageable, encouraging people at a more individual level and allowing people at a more individual level. A lot more freedom and responsibility. And consequently, you get the most out of human beings when you allow them to be more free. Anyhow, that's a whole nother subject that we should j- jump into at some point in time. But also remember our survey. Our survey tells us that we really have not changed very much as human beings. That, uh, you know, we do like magic and we do like superstitions, um, even a little superstition, a little stitches, you know, in the words of Michael. But anyhow, Jesus' logic. Jesus' logic is is common logic about kingdoms divided, which should have a ring in Israel's ear. The people in the audience should able to, uh, you know, hear the dog whistle that Jesus is putting together as he talks about the logic of a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out uh, demons by Beelzebul. And again, this word Beelzebul just keeps coming up. and And I think, it, you know, it's actually part of the humor that Jesus is driving at. But he's basically saying, you guys don't make any sense whatsoever. You know, even in trying to make sense, you don't make sense, which is the way that we are, if you ask me. Um, And and so he then throws it into their laps and he's saying, well, wait a minute, your sons, you people, you know, you people plural, you know, he says, now now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by, by whom do your followers drive them out? Your followers, your sons, your people are driving out demons, casting out demons, so they say. By whose power do they use? Is it God's? Well, Jesus says, "I guess they'll have to be your judges." So, if you have determined that you know your group is using Jesus' power, but not Jesus, or using God's power, but Jesus isn't using God's power, <laughs> well, uh, here's what God will do. He'll say, "Well, I'll let them be your judges," which should bring an absolute horror into our language, you know, idea if a god that i have made up is actually the real god then then that is horrific then the kraken has been released no doubt about it but but that's what jesus puts you know to them he's like think about it okay so so it's either me or them your people say they drive out demons you you know you're saying that i'm driving out demons it becomes a matter of your reality and you know so you know jesus is saying but if i drive out demons by the power of God, the finger of God. Well, then I am your judge. And your reality is that you are staring the kingdom of God in the face or in the finger, <laughs> in the finger. Again, this is fun. So they will be your judges, he says. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his house um, and thinks his possessions are safe, but when someone's stronger... Um, attacks him and overpowers him, and he takes away, that guy takes away his armor in which he had trusted, and then he divides up his plunder. What is Jesus' logic? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, the finger of God, man, has come upon you. He's saying, you know, and when Jesus uses this finger of God, it's funny, because in the old part of the Bible, the finger of God features. So he's not picking some sort of weird reference out. He's saying, think about that finger of God. In Israelite's history, you see the finger of God actually wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. Deuteronomy chapter nine, verse ten, and also Psalm verse uh, chapter eight, verse three says that the finger of God made the heavens and the earth. Jesus, what's he saying? I'm the finger of God. I am the finger of God. I am kicking all of evil's butts. In fact, all evil has zero influence over me. Can you say the same thing? Can human beings honestly say the same thing? Jesus can say without doubt that I am the finger of God. I am using the finger of God. The finger of God is the finger of God that wrote down the Ten Commandments. The finger of God is the one who made the whole freaking planet and and a course it's all with a finger which which means it's effortless it's effortless it doesn't take you know brute muscle power and all of this from god it takes a finger when god lifts his finger big things happen and when god lifts his finger he gets rid of evil so be careful when god lifts his finger and how does god lift uh, how does god defeat evil well he brings in the good words like the ten commandments and all the words that we're going through right here but anyhow jesus is saying that he is the finger of god so you've got to pick your logic. Do you want God or do you want your own judge? Do you want God to be your judge or do you want your own judges to be your judge? And if you want your own judges to be your judge, then you can expect, like William Golding wrote in his famous book, The Lord of the Flies, which is the backdrop of this Beelzebub you know, name, it is a nickname for the Lord of the Flies, and it's a slander against you know Canaan's God bail, Um, but if you want your judges to be your judge, and you don't want God to be your judge, you are asking for the Lord of the flies, the conch shell is going to be raised against you, and you are going to come out on the bottom. You got to pick your logic. God in Jesus Christ is judging, and he is the judge, and he's actually offering forgiveness and relationship with God. And this is Jesus' point. You have got to make up your mind. And so then the scene, you know, continues. The scene continues to, you know, he's, he's, he drops it in. He says, Whoever's against, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, Jesus only gives two answers as to who he is. Either he is who he says he is. He is either the finger of God. Or, you're left to your own judges, and good luck with that. Jesus only gives two answers, and he has every right for there to only be two answers. He has every right to not be looking for partners in human beings' logic concerning religion, or logic concerning non-religion. Jesus is not looking for partnerships. Jesus is looking for listeners. And listening to the logic that he is dropping into our laps. And he said, if you listen to my logic, then you only have two choices. You are either with me or you are against me. If you're with me, then you are gathering people to me. If you are not, then you are scattering people. Scattering is the language of judgment. He says when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through places seeking you know, uh, rest um, and 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 the whole idea of this of this text, and he says, you know, it, it is the idea that yeah we can get rid of our demons, but if we don't put if we if we don't put something valuable in its place, then we are setting ourselves up for an even bigger failure than we ever thought. Getting rid of our demons requires that something better, some source of goodness, some source of purpose and relationship, fill the vacuum. And so this is a huge warning against the foolishness of nihilism, thinking that nothing is the best way forward, or thinking that self-determinism is going to get us anywhere, the foolishness of rejecting God, or the, you know, the foolishness of just pretending there is no God. No, no, no. Jesus says you need a source of goodness. And the source of goodness that you need, he just got done explaining in a prayer. And that is, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our sinners, uh, those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the reality that Jesus is bringing to bear. And he always brings us to bear. With me, with you, with everybody. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd said, Blessed is the mother that gave you birth and nursed you. Now, honestly, this is just weird. But that's funny because this is what humans do. Whenever they feel, uh, you know, like they don't know what to say. They say something weird. So the, the, the woman, whoever says this in the audience is, is either telling Jesus, you're just like us. Don't think you're better than us. Or they're giving him some sort of weird compliment. But it's weird. Either way, it's weird. But Jesus says this. He says, I'll tell you what blessing is. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That finger of God that wrote the Ten Commandments? that finger of God that made the heavens and the earth, that's what you need to be listening to, Jesus says. And Jesus is giving God's word. And he's actually demonstrating God's word with God's power. He is the finger of God. That's who he says he is. That's who he thinks he is. And so you've got a choice. He either is or he isn't. And if he isn't, the kraken of this world is your oyster yuck. He gives us commandments. He doesn't receive our commandments. You see, Jesus is in the place of the finger of God giving us commandments. He's not in the place of receiving our commandments. He made the heavens and the earth. He brought us the Ten Commandments. We, us, human beings, we make this world exactly like William Golding's Lord of the Flies, describes we raise the conch shell against one another we trample each other recklessly beneath you know our feet and under the big rock and and we set up our divisions and we run around with our tribal expectations pointing fingers at everybody else when actually the finger of god is what we need to be paying attention to anyhow seems more likely logically That the source of goodness is God, and we need to get on the God train to fill the vacuum in our lives. Seems more likely that Jesus is who he says he is, rather than any other version of whatever story we come up with. Seems more likely. Seems more likely we're the ones who have a demon and are mute, rather than Jesus Well, anyhow, that is the story, Dory. Thanks for hanging with us. Catch you next time.